0: Hello, my name's Gregory Wilker. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Live with Greg. Today is November 17th, 2019, and last night I learned that my podcast had way exceeded the resources I have to keep it alive as a video podcast. So I am actively working to move it to an audio podcast. The video is still available on my website, GregoryWilker.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Live With Greg. Thanks for your support.
1: It's a
0: beautiful world we live in. All right. We're here with another episode with, if you don't mind my saying, you really are one of my heroes. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. We're here with Michael Pritchard. Did I pronounce her last yeah, name correctly? Absolutely right. absolutely right. So, <laughs> where did we is there anything on your mind? That, no.
1: Man, my, my mind's like a blank slate all the time. I tell all the kids life is like a giant canvas, throw a bunch of paint on it.
0: Like a shirt. It's perfect.
1: <laughs> Be an artist.
0: Be art. Let me ask you this anything, then. Yeah. On, on your life yeah. travel. Yeah. Have uh, I just saw Pee Wee Herman's new movie on Netflix?
1: Yeah, I've not seen it. Yeah.
0: It's really good if oh, you like okay. if you like yeah. him. Yeah. You, and um, one of the things this has come up a lot in stories at the yeah. very end. In essence, he faces himself as the devil. Oh know? wow! And um, hmm. and I've seen that scenario come up a lot. Where, sure, you know the final challenge is. You have ultimate. to look at yourself in the mirror. Right. To yourself. Yeah. Right. So have you seen yourself in the mirror
1: always? Yeah. I've been seeing myself in the mirror for many, many years now. I've been in uh, a long time in recovery and that's the first thing you do. You have to take a long look. There's a really wonderful line that says, uh, by, uh, Oscar Wilde, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Right. And so I learned a long time ago to be myself and to be fearless in being myself. And, uh, I went to the University of U and inside. I guess the best way to describe that is I tell children, don't overstand, understand. And a kid raised his hand and said, don't you think we need to understand as well? And I went, wow, what a line. So if you understand yourself, then you're on, you're on a roll. And you understand yourself, and you understand yourself, you're good. And I am.
0: What is that process of understanding? Well, I
1: mean, I meditate, I pray. I spend a lot of time in prayer and it was spirituality and nature. Um, I'm extremely grateful. I'm a person of great gratitude and a servant's heart. I do everything I can to help make things a little bit more nurturing and comfortable for others. I take time for myself to be generous to myself. I get a lot of downtime. I get away from it all. I pour a lot of energy out when I'm performing. Like yesterday, I was in front of uh, children, kindergarten through uh, seventh grade and pouring out lots of energy and making them laugh and then getting them up to share their pain and sorrows. If you want to help understand life, listen to sorrows. Aeschylus said, with every drop, drop, drop of pain on the human heart, wisdom grows. And so for all these years, I've sat all across America, all around the world, Listening to people's pain makes you wiser, makes you more understanding of, of life. And the more you listen to people's sorrows and pains and sufferings and the guilt that they might have attached or the fears that they have, the wiser you grow in how to help others through it.
0: Do you think pain is the only way for wisdom?
1: no i mean uh, there's a lot of uh ingratitude there's a lot of wisdom and gratitude you know that's that's being you know i call it being grateful not hateful and uh thankful and tranquil got calm you know find it find that thing that's inside you that center you you're a, you're your own sanctuary you're your own oasis you know you'd be looking around for the external oasis, but that's inside you and if you don't find that you're not gonna make it through without a lot of conflict. And so you have to be completely centered, focused and at peace within yourself. But that's the key for me, I am. I, I, I can do all this work, you know, uh, healing people uh, through being able uh, to have the ability to be introspective enough to be um, grateful that I have all that I have, right? And that's what part of being a healer is. Just talked to my son who's a doctor. You know, there's a book out by Atel Gawande. Please buy that book, folks. <laughs> it is called Being Mortal. And it's about his conflict, looking at having to let go of his father in life, who he, well, although he was a healer. And uh, death is a doorway. You know, that's all. It's just a doorway. Everybody's afraid of it. And fear is the little dark room where negatives are developed. Everybody's afraid. Oh, no. you know. But then if you ever have been with... uh, Not too long ago, I had a a big, beautiful yellow lab hit on the highway. And I spent time with it as it transitioned. And uh, the horns were beeping. People were screaming filthiest language at me as I'm laying there with a dying Labrador. Big, beautiful, blonde Labrador. Be a nice dog, right? Odie. And I just sat there and kept it quiet until it transitioned. And this big fireman walks up, and big handlebar mustache. He looked like Ben Johnson from the Raiders. And he just burst into tears looking at me. Right? And he's staring at me, you know. And then he walked back and he goes, uh, I'm going to get a blanket. And I go, okay, sure, that'd be great. So we wrap him up. We put him on the back of the uh, fire truck and they're going to take him over and where he'll be, you know, probably cremated. And uh, I, said, I said, thanks. I said, got any said, So I washed my hands off because the dog was bloody, And there was a little girl who hit him who was a uh, texter. And there was not a lot of compassion nor remorse in her. She was looking for somebody to blame that the dog wasn't on a leash, right? And so, you know, I said, well, okay, she's in accident. This is the dog's... We can we can just say that this is the dog's fault, not your fault. But I go, here's what you need to know, that somewhere, this dog's tail would wag when somebody would come home, and they were lonely or they were sad, and that dog was there for them. So this is a living being thing. And she looked at me. and She goes, Are you like some kind of a, like guru teacher or whatever? And I was like, Kind of like a guru teacher or whatever. And the the fireman is like standing there, and he goes, "I just gotta tell you something. I don't know who you are, but I gotta tell you. I hope you're around when I die." <laughs> I started like, Well, let's hope not. Pal. <laughs> I mean, I know. I mean, I know what he's saying. What right. he's saying is, you want to, when you're dying, you want to be comforted and nurtured, and that's the thing. When I work in hospice now, I've noticed that. Dying people are a lot like uh, preschoolers again. They want to be nurtured. They want to be read to. They want to be treated softly and gently. They want their hair stroked, their feet massaged. They just want to be treated good. And and they're seniors, a lot of them, right? And they're trying to figure it all out. And so one of the great things is we all want that. We want in life somebody to be with us. When I was up at St. Vincent's, there was an orphan boy there. And I came around the corner. He goes, man, can I talk to you? I go, sure. And he goes, no, but I mean like like privately. <laughs> I go, sure, sure, sure. And he goes, no, like, I mean like nobody else around. And I go, sure. I go, yeah, whatever you want. So we walked around the corner to Father Dave Jorso's office. And I sat there and I said, what do you need? And he goes, nothing. I go, you said you wanted to talk to me. You said you want to talk to me. He goes, no, I just really wanted to just be with you. And that's, you know, for me, Greg, that's what we all want. We all yeah. want to have somebody to be with be with us. And here's a, a kid who's got no mom, no dad, no family. And he just needs somebody to be with him. And we all want that. Because yeah. we could all be out there in the middle of the world lonely. Yeah. And there isn't a person that hasn't had that loneliness, right?
0: Yeah.
1: An yeah. And, and, and if you're wise, you are that person. Right? The yeah, there's there's the key. You're <laughs> that person that everybody wants to be with. And how do you form yourself? How do you create yourself? I remember I was on a native reservation. I said, well, we find ourselves. And the elderly shaman lady walked up and she goes, you are totally wrong, Mike. We do not find ourselves. We create ourselves.
0: <laughs>
1: whoa dude that was like profound And but if you create yourself to be that person for others that people want to be with you we call that friendship, relationship partnership, we call that healer, nurturer, comforter we call that guru we call that uh, shepherd we call that priest, rabbi we call that shaman we call it whatever it, it takes to become that for somebody that's a good journey.
0: Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I've noticed that that becomes more difficult the more intimate a relationship is. You
1: know what, I mean, if you're not at that intimate level, it's not gonna work. I mean, if you haven't removed that wall, that's a spiritual firewall. If you don't have that intimacy, it's not gonna work. You know, you have to have that, you have to be able to talk to people, you look to, I mean, for me, there's nothing more intimate than helping somebody die. That's even more powerful than sex. It really is because they're leaning. They're not gonna be there. Now, somebody who's getting healed through a sex act or or is making love to somebody, you 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 got a second chance. Or you you screw that up, you know, somebody'll give you a second chance. Dying. That's true. You got one shot. That curtain's gonna be, You better. You better be intimate. You better look in their eyes, and you better say things. This is what I say to them all the time. I had a guy the other day goes, "You know what I do? I spend all my damn time hiring lawyers. I hate to defend me against family members. I hate more." I go, "Wow, there's a swell life, well lived, gathered all that money to amass give it, given." Then I had another guy the other day, and he says, "You know what? I I spent my entire life." Uh, you know, amassing a fortune, and I bought a $43,000 watch that couldn't tell me what time it was in my life. Dude, seriously. And then the third one was an elderly lady. She's a wealthy heiress. And I was sitting there looking at her. I said, she goes, Big Mike, look in the hallway. See if them vultures are out there getting ready for trick or treat. And I go, who are the vultures? She goes, my relatives. You're here for trick-or-treat. Trick. They want me to give some. I haven't seen it in 17 years. Now they want something because I'm dying. And she's a wealthy woman. I said, it must be awfully lonely to be you. And she goes, we trying to hurt my feelings. I go, no. I'm just making a remark. I go, man, I'm. that's a pretty lonely place you're at. And I said, I'm glad I'm with you because I don't want you, you to feel I go, maybe here's the thing. See, I tell her, I unconditionally love people. I'm not judging you, Mother Teresa's line is, if you judge people, you'll never have time to learn to love them. And I said, you know, throughout your whole life, you had so much money, you looked down your nose at me and felt sorry for me. And now you're dying and you ain't got a friend in the world or somebody to love you, except for me yeah I'm feeling sorry for you.
0: Have, right? you have you met any really wealthy people that were happy and oh yeah and good? yeah yeah oh yeah, so
1: money's not the root of all evil. no, money is not the root of all evil, but the 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 line is at the end of the chess game, the pawn and the king go back in the same box, <laughs> right. No matter how rich and powerful you are, how important you get to be on the day you die, the size of your funeral still pretty much depends on the weather that day. You know, know, people spend time sitting around thinking, I got this and I got that. I know a lot of wealthy people are very happy and when they transition out, they're very happy because they'll be able to philanthropically bestow great amounts of amassed wealth through inheritance or hard work uh, to make things better in the world and you have to ask them what's it going to be bitter or better Wine or shine <laughs> complain or gain and uh, you know if you're bitter about dying you miss the point of your life yeah. you know because life ain't fair fair is where you'd get cotton candy and ride a big wheel you know life ain't logical if it was logical men would ride side saddle
0: <laughs> good point yeah exactly. <laughs> All right. So you do have a spiritual belief. Oh yeah. Um bunches of them. So, yeah. so any thoughts on why this physical reality was created in such a dysfunctional manner? Well, no, I
1: don't think it's a dysfunctional manner. I think you're in your you're in kindergarten here. This is a giant cartoon show, a hologram to teach you how to be a little bit more loving and unconditionally. And yeah, if you fail, you'll be coming back. See again? you again. You drop the course, dude. You got to come back. You got to go to summer school. Right? I know. It's perfect for you. Know You got to go to summer school, dude. I yeah, know. I don't want to come back. I'm going to be in Russia. <laughs> I'm going to be in a Gulag. Yeah. Oh, too bad. You know, I mean, get it or don't get it. I mean, the key here is um you know Dickens, you know, who was a very brilliant man, and described things in great detail uh, in spiritual terms. It was very brilliant. Uh, two of my favorite lines of Dickens, you know, um, one was, uh, you know, describing Scrooge, and you see a lot of these men in the city of San Francisco and Marin and San Mateo and wealthy places, men, men and women who've missed the point of it all. And, they think it's about a mousing, great amounts of wealth and the line, he, he was describing Scrooge before he woke up he says he was a clutching grasping wheezing skintling but Scrooge poor Scrooge was as solitary as an oyster in his pain and you see those men you know they're open wounds spilling on other people they're depleted of all love, but they've everything that could make you wealthy, and and just beware the change of origin life. Yeah. Right? What are you attached to? So if it's uh, if it's external validation, you you missed the point. But when Scrooge wakes up in that morning, he says, "Oh my gosh, it's still Christmas. I still have a chance to make it all right. right. I will go help." the Cratchits, you know, and it says he was as good a man, as good a master as the good old city knew. And it was said of him, Scrooge, that he knew
0: how to keep Christmas well. Well, you know, that's in your heart. Yes. I find the challenge, though, in that story, I love that story, one yeah. of my favorites. Redemption, right? Right. And, Resurrection. And... One of my favorite lines from it is "Mankind was my business." Yeah, right. that yeah. should have been my, when he's talking to Marley's ghost. Right. To Marley's yeah. ghost.
1: Well, the, then, then you go to the line in Nicholas Nickleby because what heals you, okay, is relationships, and this is what they just talked about in the Harvard study by Doctor. Uh, his name, uh Grant, I think, and uh, he just did a 75 year study and they studied poor children from Boston as well as the wealthy men from Harvard um, and what he found out was that it's relationships and in Nicholas Nickleby he says, we come to know at the end of all time, it's not always those that we share our blood with that become our family, but those that we might give our blood for that become our family. And so over my years, you know, with all the uh, cops and the firemen and all the military folks and the nurses and teachers that I have shared my great, uh, you know, life with, and including my family and wanting my kids to know that, it's the people with the servant's hearts that triumph in life, that have relationships, that nurture them, that when you're dying, there's a crowd of people standing around you and they're going to miss you but they'll see you again and they know not and that is what Dickens was talking about in that so you have to create that again like the lady said you create yourself but you also create the family that is well around you that nurtures you, that sustains you, that comforts you that is compassionate towards you and that's the key the rest of the stuff is a cartoon show
0: but that's still external the people there at your, at your
1: no that's internal they're there for friendship relationships partnerships they're there for compassion that's completely internalized
0: so you're not putting yeah. emphasis on the bodies themselves you're putting no. emphasis on what drew Spiritual, the
1: bodies to re, you know I mean I treat you you know I was t- telling somebody the other day when you hear some of the stuff I said we, need, we don't need separation of church and state we need separation of church and hate (laughs) right religion is for people afraid of going to hell and spirituality is for people who have already been there
0: so what tools do you have for instances like you on the side of the road with the dog and all this chaos is getting berated at you a barrage of human madness what tools do you have to hold the light
1: well calm is, is one thing you don't react to their sickness, right? That's the, that's the key, because they're 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 the crazy ones. They've got issues, you know? Like, this guy came by, we were all laughing really heartily, and he walked by, and one of the men said, wow, there's an open wound going out to spill all over everyone. And that would be uh, Scrooge walking by, you know? Have they no poor houses? Have they no... <laughs> and so you're like sitting on... Jeez, Ebenezer, man, lighten up, dude. I mean, like you got everything you could want, and you're miserable, right? And and here's the interesting part: he didn't know he was miserable. He missed the relationship with the girl who loved him. He missed the relationship with, uh, and this was a constant theme in Dickens' movie in uh, and Dickens' um, books uh, in um, Nicholas Nickleby the uncle who was a betrayal and a sociopath, missed the relationship with his uh, girlfriend, like Scrooge did, and with the son, who he punished and ruthlessly treated cruelly, and ignored and abused. And it's later on when he takes his life because he's so shamed, you know, he knows. That he killed, literally, the one thing that he was supposed to love, his girlfriend's child, his son. So, when you see this, and this is what you, you know, Dickens was, a, you know, ironically very brilliant guy. I mean, even for the 17 and 1800s, he understood life. So what you want to do is, he's almost a spiritual, you know, he's like a, another prophet. He's like a Saint Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's telling you, here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. And uh, and the gospel is that you're sitting with, uh, you know, a guy and he's angry. He's got pancreatic cancer. I was telling a story. And, uh, and he's raging at everybody in the hospice. And nobody spends time to unburden him. So I walk in and I asked him, I said, why are you so angry all the time? Cause he's got pancreatic cancer. And then out of nowhere he triggers, don't ask me why Greg, I have no idea why he chose to to, to, to unburden with me. And he says, my little son was run over by a propeller in Lake Barrias and he was chopped up into a million pieces and I had to take his body and put it into the uh, boat. And then my wife left me and then I never remarried and I've always had to deal with that. My only child, five years, and a, you know, oh, and the nurse who had been condemning him, she had run out of the room, right? And uh, you know, and so then you. Now I understand. Right. Unaddressed grief turns nice. to anger, the anger to rage, the rage to violence. Violence has two directions: outwards towards others, and inwards towards itself. Right. So, if you're wise, you know, I mean, really wise, you know, brain wise, heart smart, you're sitting there and you're unburdening. Somebody's giving you the confession and they need to to unburden before they transition over. That guy went over so easy three days later because he had laid the bag of rocks down.
0: Yeah. Right? And there was someone there to hear him.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you've got to have somebody here to hear it. You know, I mean, if they... uh, the tree falls in a forest, right? Well, right. if a confession is given in the hospice and nobody hears it, is it a confession? Is it an unburdening? You know, if you're talking into your pillow, it's not going to work. So you've got to have some moronic, big, goofy guy sitting there listening to you.
0: Yeah. I qualify. That's one of the... Books that I really appreciated reading was a Course in Miracles. Sure. John Polsky's great guy. And yeah. one of the things them. that I kind of love about it is God, for lack of a better word, the creative essence is saying, you didn't make a mistake. Right. There is no sin. It just whatever you are imagining, yeah. Yeah. it's not there.
1: It's not there. Well, I mean, there is no struggle between the light and the dark. When the light arrives, the dark is gone. Right, so eliminate the darkness. That's what I loved about the little girl. I said, "You don't have to blow someone else's candle out to make sure yours shines brighter." This little girl up at Hamilton goes, "Mr. Mike, if you do go around blowing out other people's candle, and bullying people, pretty soon you'll be the one in the darkness." I went, "Wow, well, the darkness, of course, is just the loneliness of you,, right? You're all alone.
0: Do you still come up? To your darkness, does is, is darkness still no. in existence? No, no I have no.
1: Existence? I well, you know what what it is is if if you truly come to the accommodation that you really like yourself, you're never in the darkness because yeah. you're always a light bearer. And if you're a light bearer, you're not afraid of the dark. And then it goes back to that line: fear is the little uh, dark room where negatives are developed, right? right? And so, if you see that and you see all these fearful people, they just don't like themselves and they don't want to be alone. Hello? And so if you like yourself, you don't mind being alone. In fact, I find it, you know, and it was like, "Yeah, dude, you know, you're self-absorbed. You should, you could drown. How many of you does it take to scream a light bulb? One, I stand still and the world revolves around me. (laughs) Well, you know, that's not the case. The case is this. Loving yourself, nurturing yourself, compassion—you know—I mean, because you could ext- overextend yourself, and I, you know, anybody who's a healer can do that. What's the difference between a codependent and a zombie? Eventually, a zombie will move on. <laughs> so you have to—you have to take care of you, and yeah. part of taking you is alone time. Uh, I noticed that about—you uh, know—all my friends who are great healers—they had to have that alone time. You have to get that downtime. I always consider it, it, people looked at me, I said, it used to remind me of me and uh, watching Maxwell Smart. There was a robot on there called Jaime the Robot. And he would just shut down and go, well, are you? I said, that's me. I mean, I'm the Energizer Bunny. And then all of a sudden when I shut down, people are going, are you okay? Are you okay? My kids, are, my wife, everybody says, are you okay? And I'm going, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> feel just well. I'm good, I'm hey. good. I don't want to spend a lot of energy. I don't even want to talk, you know. But I actually feel good. I mean, I feel content and happy, and like all the energy that I expended was really well, well worth it.
0: In my life, with my three children and my Mm -hmm. wife, Mm -hmm. it comes up a critical element, you know, where I'm criticized. Sure, foibles are pointed out. Right. Sure. Do you still have that in your life?
1: Where I get criticized and, and, and By the ones closest to you. Oh, well, you can kids. have that from everybody, even your closest friends. They have to keep you humble. You cannot you know, I mean, that was one of my favorite lines of uh, of Robin. He and I were on a radio show and made me burst out laughing. He goes he goes, Oh, uh, what's going on? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, Well he goes This is why Jesus had no wife <laughs> where were you Jesus Canaan with all your friends all of them make a little wine for your mom and the rest of them what about me how about a little sweeping miracle Jesus yeah how about helping out around the house a little dusting miracle and I was howling laughing I was howling laughing because you know this was him as well you're going out you're saving the world you're helping everybody and you come home and you're like oh yeah you you're home you and I remember one of my favorite moments, it was hilarious, my kids were all standing, I was playing with a baby next to us. And our whole family, there's like 12 people sitting around at a big table and this dad leans in and cause I'd been playing with this little baby son and the kids laughing really hard and the dad's just so happy. And I'm making every stupid noise and my whole family's eating dinner, you know, and I keep playing with the baby and I'm annoying everybody. And I don't care, cause it's me having fun, that's my deal. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, the guy goes, "Hey, your dad's the funniest guy in the whole world!" Like, I can't believe it. That must be such a great. And the whole family just stares at him. <laughs> just stares at him like, "I hate you, Mister." And he goes, "Oh!" And I start laughing like, "Just what you got!" I'm like laughing. I go, "Now you understand." And I go, you know, I mean, a prophet's never appreciated in his own. uh, Come on, you know, I am great, you know, and everybody goes, yeah, yeah, okay, Gandhi, all right, Martin Luther King, oh, Mother Teresa, you know everything. Come on, if you don't have that, that's a good, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, at some point, all the other nuns are like, why do you get all the attention, Mother Teresa? What are you talking about? Oh, you're always in the paper. You know that. All right. And so, wait, I'm trying to make things work. Yeah,
0: sure. Yeah. You've hardly been here the last time. Yeah, you, you weren't
1: even here wiping rear ends and taking care of them, but you're in the
0: press all the time. The big mother Teresa does.
1: Oh, gee. So, you know, and everybody's was oh, that's just jealousy. No, it isn't. That's just human. And everybody needs to be shepherded by the sheepdog because no matter how smart we think we are we're all still sheep and we have one giant shepherd and that's the light head towards the light face into the wind
0: all right so he, this might be too personal and Go ahead. um your recent heart attack do yeah. you feel like that was a lesson in something you weren't listening to, and so it had to. no. Actually, not. Okay. I, thought was, uh, was, uh, I thought it was surreal. Uh,
1: I thought it was like the greatest gift I ever got. Everybody thought, "Oh, you're going to get depressed. You're going to get sad." Uh, I have never been so happy. No, what I'm, I got, a, I I was
0: exhausted. I needed rest. That's yeah. what I'm wondering. Was it? Was it a message you needed to hear that you weren't getting in other ways? So, so it's like- You know,
1: I will tell you this. Uh, you get what comes your way. And uh, I had just taken care of uh, lots, three dying people who were close friends, including my brother. And I I tell everybody I could name the three plugs, you know, uh, Robin Williams, my brother John and Bernie Shaw and they were he was a policeman who married Patricia Hurst and uh, all three of them died within a very brief period of time and uh, you know I grieved all of them I helped everybody grieve and uh, you know was I taking care of myself enough Uh, yeah I think so I really do I think that my body just needed rest because I'd done all this and uh and then I got it and then I was so grateful I mean because I was laughing you know people think oh you'll be so depressed <laughs> everybody who has heart surgery just breaks down and they just get so depressed and I was like uh, no because I was laughing I mean I remember the two young girls that were taking care of me Filipino girls they were making me walk and one of them goes, wait a minute, Mr. Mike. We've got to tighten that robe up in the back. Nobody should have to see that. <laughs> and the other one goes, no. except for maybe us. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, take me back to my bed. I got to laugh. Stop it. I hate you both. <laughs> ah, ah. And the doctor asked me, he goes, so are you okay? Do you have any questions? I go, yeah. How do you get your pie crust so flaky? I mean, I mean you know, if, you are, if you're going through life afraid of death, if you're going through your life thinking everything's gonna be a sign to make you feel, how are you gonna make it? Yeah, you know. I mean, how are you gonna make it, right? I I think like when I tell kids what I do is is I'm the flagman on the highway. And I saw a flagman on the highway waving, going, "Hey, hey, 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 slow down,
0: slow down, slow down, slow down.
1: You're sixty-six. You're not thirty. Uh, when I talk to the kids, I always tell them, I said, you know, here's the thing, if you blow past me at 90 miles an hour, and I'm the flagman on the highway, and you're too uninterested into listening to what I'm going to tell you, and what I'm going to tell you is the bridge is washed out and there's a 180 foot drop, you're going to die. But you're so preoccupied with how cool your car looks and how cool you are, you're just going to just roll your eyes and keep driving. I have to still be there because there's other people who will pull in and, and listen to the message. My job. So I think uh, God is the flag man on the highway and he gives you a health uh, benefit. It's not a scare. It's a benefit. you know. And so I got to swim in my pool all summer long. I was in heaven. I was rested up, ready to go. And my first gig back, ironically, was uh, to take care of a little girl who was murdered in Santa Cruz. By a 15 year old boy and the whole town's grieving now you have to picture this moment now Greg I'm going to go talk to a whole town that's filled with grief after a big grief filled heart attack so I get angry, you know, I'm trying to figure that out, I'm trying to say see if I assume that, that that's the case, that it's oh, look at this and then the next thing back up is this, oh what the heck is that about, so yeah, I had a conversation with my beloved Creator, the Light, and I said, uh, "Hey, f- Father, Mother, Son, you know what up? You know my first thing back is a eight year old child slaughtered, murdered. Come on, the whole town's upset." And I sat down and I go, "I do get that." I go, "Why would that be the first thing back? Couldn't I have some preschool kids to talk to first? Well. A couple sat down two minutes later and said, you know, can we talk to you? Here's a check for $25,000. Go buy yourself a new car. I burst into tears. I said, well, I don't have words. And they said, you don't need words. What you do is important. And I got back in my clunker car and I go, that was kind of your way to telling me <laughs> to shut up, right? And what am I whining about, right? I got it. And that's the key. So if you have a relationship with the creator, like you have a relationship with the people you nurture at hospice, like you have a relationship with your family and friends, you know, there's a sense of humor involved. God will shepherd you, the light, whatever you call that, your higher power to be will help you arrive at some things. And that for me was like hilarious moment. And then, you know, I mean, yeah, it was absolutely. And it happens instantaneously when you let the light crack. And it's like the cosmic egg, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. If you crack the egg, the light starts to stream in and out.
0: I like that uh, Leonard Cohen line. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: That's how the light gets in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's how the light gets in. The egg cracks. Well, I came home and that was, it was even funnier. I was turtling around like a big whale in the pool swimming and swimming. My daughter and wife came home and they had both worked on their feet all day long and they were crabby Appleton and about a bad day. And then I said, well, I got some good news today. <laughs> and they said, what well, good news did you get? I said, well, you should go get this envelope in my daughter. She starts cursing. She goes, "I'm on my feet all day long, and somebody gives you a check for twenty-five thousand dollars while you're turning around <laughs> in the bed.
0: <body." laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't you be happy for me, honey?" Right? And so yeah. you have to laugh. It's called family life. Yeah. yeah. So family life is what it is. It is what it is, and you know, sometimes it's joyous, sometimes it's troublesome, sometimes it is what it is. It's a challenge. But, you know, you're always going to have, there's no place where you won't find criticism from somebody trying to explain to you that you're not all that you think you are and how important you are is, is not as, you know. There's a, Ellie Wassell talked about that in uh, Messenger of God when uh, Moses was, uh, the Lord said unto Moses, you must, uh, you must now die. And he said, I can't. Who would lead Israel? And he says, well, then you may live and Israel will die. and so he says well i guess i'll have to die and he said yeah he says go with your brother up to the mountain aaron and lay down and moses laid down on the side of the mountain on a slab and he said and close your eyes and put your hands across your chest and Moses closed his eyes and put his hands across and the lord kissed moses on the lips and his spirit was swept away into eternity the people that were buried in the mountains thought he was buried in the mountains and the people that were buried in the valleys thought he was buried in the valleys but the truth is he was buried in the hearts and minds of people that understand no one human no leader is more important than all yeah simple now when I read that I was at night and I poked my wife to wake her up and I said I think I know how I want (laughs) to (laughs) die so yeah
0: What keeps coming up for me right now is that that's the truth, and my hope is that we all learn that we are the bright light, so the hope is to rip, to raise the open the consciousness of all so that all knows it is all
1: well if you're if you're operating on a uh angelic vibration. G.K. Chesterton said the reason angels fly is because they take things lightly. Uh, Most people don't understand that you know, if you're taking this seriously, you you missed the point of it because this is not, you know. You know, I mean, if you, you know, most comedians where, you know, where everybody's afraid of Hitler, everybody was afraid of Hitler. Um, Then you have Mel Brooks. Springtime for
0: Hitler in Germany or Charles Chaplin or, Charles
1: Chaplin. Yeah. or the Three Stooges yeah. playing Moe Mo Hailstone right sure. and so you know they can withstand everything but mockery and satire right so I mean right now Donald Trump is hilarious to me I mean he's like you watch how they talk about him how he's the giant orange jam he is vanilla Isis. He is, uh, one of them, you know, uh, one of them calls him El Donaldo Maximus. So, you know, he, he, the best part of Donald is that he takes himself seriously. You know, he actually... God, does he
0: really? Do you think so? well, yes. Well, yes, of course.
1: Oh he takes God. himself seriously. He, he believes in himself to be a great leader. And, and that's what happens. And if you... And, and that paranoiac behavior, you know, when Stalin ordered 17,000 people murdered yeah. and he yells at Beria and, and, and this is where leaders get to, the paranoia, the insanity, the fear. Yeah, yeah. He says, Beria, wait! And he goes, I want all 17,000 of these people from my government executed. And Beria says, yes sir, and he starts to walk out and he goes, wait! Beria! Trust no one. And then he starts to walk out again and he goes, Wait! Not even yourself. I mean, if you've ever heard a better comedy line, you know, trust no one, not even yourself. That's like something out of a Groucho Marx line, yeah, right? Yeah. So that level of paranoia, that level of fear, is if it doesn't become laughable to you, becomes. and Do I know there's suffering in the world? Do I know that people die? Do I know that people... Yes, of course. I see the suffering. I see the sorrow. And I see the pain. But that doesn't mean that I have to uh, dwell in it because I believe in the power of uh, resurrection. I believe in the power of another life. I believe in the power of, of the spiritual transition. And it would be real simple to explain it to you with one word butterfly (laughs) the cocoon right the little butterfly is in there and it's fighting and gets out and then all of a sudden it's a beautiful butterfly flying over in a garden filled with fragrant meadow a fragrant meadow and you're like sitting there going you know a little while ago this thing was just an ugly little caterpillar well if God does that for the caterpillar what's he gonna do for us
0: yeah I'm with you. I know you are. <laughs> yeah. It's a good life. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, it's, it's, it's an amazing life. And I mean, if you just, you know, I mean, if, if you're afraid of, of seeing suffering and, and you should only be afraid of suffering if you're not doing anything about it. Dr. Martin Luther King said, there'll come a time in your life when you can do the right thing or look the other way. If you look the other way, you're already dead. Yeah. You'll go on breathing to the end of your days, but you'll already be dead inside yourself. Right. Yeah. And uh, I to children, if you do not know, it is bad, but if you do not want to know, it is worse. And then you remember that line from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Daddy, why is it up to us in a small town to stand up against hate and ignorance? Well, Scout said Atticus, you come to learn. It's not how you come to learn to live with other people that's important, but how you come to learn to live with yourself that's important. That's the key. You know, if you're okay with inside yourself and you know your spirit is righteous and that you know you've done everything you can to alleviate suffering and you didn't look away and you didn't not notice and you didn't not feed the hungry and house the homeless and visit the people that were in prison, and go to see the people that were sick, which is what I do all the whole time, you're not gonna like yourself much, you know. I mean, I'm not saying you gotta spend all your time taking care of everybody else, but in uh, well, taking care of other people, you really truly are taking care of yourself because yeah. you're so grateful for your
0: life and the gift of it. And you said one of your tools is to heal yourself, the right. time to yourself.
1: Well, that's what the guy said in the relationship movie. I thought it was like really funny and uh, Waldringer, that's his name. Dr. Waldringer. It's a uh, six-minute film. And, uh, and it was really good because he says, uh, you know, they did this study, a 75-year study of uh, Harvard uh, people and, and all the people who were poor kept saying, why do they want to know about us? We're so uh, uninteresting. We're so boring. Our lives are so tedious. And then showing you what egos are built at Ivy League schools. The doctor says not one person from Harvard said that. I
0: heard this. All yeah, right? yeah. And
1: what he's telling you is, you, you know, ego is in some ways extremely good because you're thinking, "I am an important person and I can make a difference." Now, if you're a solutioneer, if you're helping other people, that's good. If you're a person who's amassing amassing a great fortune for yourself and just you and your friends and family. And you become greedy and indifferent and dispassionate in the ways, you will be taught the hard way. In other words, you know, people don't like to hear the truth, but the truth is this. Picture this. Ronald Reagan put a hundred thousand homeless people and mentally ill people on the street. And then he wound up for nine years with Alzheimer's, suffering the indignity of fading in and out of
0: lucidity inside his own spirit. All right, so you—I hear you saying there's a direct correlation. Well, I mean, it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it, it, it's not a punishment. No.
1: It's—it's it's more or less you know, waking, You know, I promise you that Ronald Reagan, in some of the lucid moments when he had dementia, was sitting there going, "What have I done?"
0: I hope so. Oh, no. Well,
1: I mean, I mean, you, you got to picture this. You know, just take. Set uh, historical Jesus aside, okay? Um, and, and I'm not talking religious Jesus, just historical Jesus. Historical Jesus uh, was never, ever, ever in medical school and they called him a healer. And he well, allegedly got people up and walking and healed them. He healed a the guy who had a wounded ear from one of his uh, men cutting his ear off. He got people to walk. He had a friend get up and rise up from the dead, right? That's just historical Jesus written about in the books, not the religious. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, called Rabbi, Rabboni, because but he never had any formal education. I mean, he was, you didn't hear about him going to any rabbinical schools. You know, he didn't go and teach the and learn the uh, scriptures at the uh, thing. But he, he learned it. He was self-taught. So, But they called him Rabbi. Uh, he struck fear into the hearts and minds of all these kings, and, you know, because you have to teach people to hate. To gather a gang or an army, you have to go want to go kill people. So Herod and and, uh, and uh, Pilate, um, they have to you have to gather people to hate, right? And he was teaching compassion and love and acceptance and forgiveness. So they were afraid of him. Like, like how are we going to gather people to, to to fight for us against you know Rome or for us to conquer the Jews here? Unless we can teach them that hey, these are the enemy. And Jesus says, no, there are no enemies. You know, the enemy is you, right? and So, and then the next thing is he, he gets beaten to death, you know, in front of his own mother hung on a cross. Guy on the left starts yelling at him, trash-talking him, and the guy on the right goes, man, I believe who you are. I mean, I can't believe you're forgiving everybody for doing this to you they just beat you for hours on end made you carry a hunk of lumber up here, banged you into a cross and I'm here with you and you're saying forgive him. whoa right, so he forgave people and then when he he gave up his spirit and um, he uh, whether he was resurrected or not is not as important as this a very wealthy man looked at him and said man I'm going to give him my tomb and so he went down and He still, to this day, lives in the hearts and minds of people that believe that compassion is the way to live your life. Now, whether he's a religious figure or he's God, whether he's the Messiah, who knows? But here's what I could tell you right now. If you want a role model...
0: That's a good one. You
1: know, right? You think back, you know, I mean... Mother Teresa's great and, and, and Martin Luther King's great and John F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy these are all good people yeah. but ain't nobody let somebody bang him into a hunk of wood on the cross and then goes oh you know what I've been thinking about this I think we should we just let it go huh? Right? yeah just let it go <laughs> wow you know yeah right so yeah that's how you got a roll. I mean, is is I mean, you think about all the savagery that happens to people, and they can. I mean, Mandela, you know, prison, 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 prison for years, and yeah. gets out and goes, "Hey, man, okay, it's time to party." You know, I'm not trying to fix the nation. You're like, wow, and he did it years, and he did. Yeah, he yeah. got
0: him better, healthier, wiser. Yeah, right. And Unfortunately, after he left, and what I find so interesting, interesting, you bring him up. I'm mean, going to just f- bunch of flood here thoughts. Have you been watching Comedians in Cars? Mm-hmm. Did you see the one with Obama? Mm-hmm. Really good. And Seinfeld asked Obama um, about <coughs> these leaders he's met, and he asked him, like Do you sometimes see one where you think, oh my gosh? And Obama said, Yeah, now and then. He said that, in essence, from my recollection, what Obama was saying is, Anyone in power they're going to lose it eventually over right. a period of time it should be right. a, a short lived yes. thing and Mandela said the same thing like I think they wanted him to continue on he said I, in good health for the country for all I shouldn't do that the
1: Incans used to put people on the hot seat and you'd scar your ear in so anytime you felt like you should criticize the leader you reach back and you'd touch the scars on your ass just so you remember so what I try to tell everybody is, you know, um, if you're if you're wise, you take the Lao Tzu philosophy, which is the great leader pushes, coerces, cajoles, encourages, and when they have all arrived at the destination the great leader had intended, wisely, the great leader remains totally silent. Just get them to get where they need to go and try and live a servant's heart I I mean all my life you know you just kind of you gotta be that shepherd them along right shepherd them along and boy don't look for recognition or approval they're fleeting at best right and that was my favorite line from a kid I said well you look she goes well don't look for recognition or approval they're fleeting at best Then you gotta look for you know try to do the best you can for everybody try to be a good person. I said, this kid's like really smart, right? And, uh, I go, how did you get this wise? And she goes, just a lot of sorrows. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. I think kids suffering through indignity and pain and sorrows and sadness are really good teachers. You know, what I mean, uh, if you're wise, I mean I lost my father early I had a lot of pain my 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 family drank heavily to try and deal with their grief and then I had to drift away from that to find my true self and I said you know when you when you realize that the Irish throughout culture have used alcohol as the number from their grief and you realize what a bad sad choice that is and then what hit me was uh the irony of my deciding to work in comedy clubs while I was clean and sober and everybody was on stimulants and depressants. And your job is to make them happy. There's a genius move. (laughs) Good good career counseling. Yeah, good career work, right? (laughs) I think I'll go into the clubs where people are on stimulants and depressants and they're all overstimulated till they crash into the wall on cocaine and then drunk and I'll try to make them happy hmm. right
0: through laughter and uh, real laughter is very healing right you're still a stand up comic still I mean not I don't
1: do it like I used to but I still do it you know and I mean you have to make people laugh and you have to try and do what you can to help them understand life right
0: do you, you still do you have a routine that you do
1: no, I mean, I, I mean, just what I'm doing right now, just talking. I mean, that's what I do when I get on stage. I mean, so you, if you do you know, Throckmorton if I do see. Throck, yeah, I'll talk about this kind of stuff. You know, you gotta, you gotta be able to talk. I mean, you, you know, you're thinking about like the other day. I was quoting Richard Nixon. The last thing Richard Nixon said before he left office: "There are people out there, and they will hate you, and they will only win if they get you to hate them back. Then you begin to destroy yourself." Gee, Dick, why were you for that memo in kindergarten? What comes around, goes around. Right? Picture the insanity of that Macbeth, that, you know, Hamlet moment. Richard Nixon, in the one lucid moment, is leaving office, 74. That's one of the last things he says to his subordinates. Wow. There are people out there, and they'll hate you. And they will only win if they get you to hate them back, because then you begin to destroy yourself. And he did, and he did. And then he was able to somewhat redeem himself, yeah. you know? But what you what you see is, is that ultimate power can corrupt you absolutely, you know? If you read anything, I read lots of stuff. I mean, Nixon was a sad, sad, tragic figure. Yeah. He had all the power in the world, and he was in his second tour, right? He was going to be, he would have been, he opened up China, he, right. he helped shift a lot of worlds, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, he tries to get Dick Helms to cover it up at the CIA and Dick Helms says, I, uh, no, <laughs> no, I don't think so, Dick, no, we're not going to do that. No, fact that, Dick, you and your guys, you're going to have to, you and Eagle, Bud, Krug and Colson and, uh, you know, Haldeman, you're going to have to take the heat for this. Sorry. And pretty soon, Dick is out of a job. He's out of power. And he's skulking in San Clemente, right? This is horrible. I can have done you so much.
0: Now, what I find interesting, if you look at Dick and you look at uh, Clinton, and from what I know of Dick's life, he had a very low self-esteem. He really, You're one of his man. challenges yeah, yeah. was a belief in himself. And it seems to me like Clinton does not have
1: that. Well, he was... uh, Okay, you got to understand, Nixon was a Quaker. He was raised not to be who he became. Hmm. You're supposed to believe in peace. You're supposed to believe in the inner um, conflict being uh, overcome by faith, love, kindness, compassion. And yet he was a conflicted soul who was... uh, very fearful, fear-driven, disliked, and wanted to punish Kennedy and anybody who got in his way. Enemy list, enemy list, enemy list. He had an enemy list before. You know, I mean, he he learned the enemies list by by hanging out with all the people that had enemy lists. You know, like uh, Walter Winchell, Francis Cardinal Spellman, uh, you know, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, um, Bobby Baker who worked for Lyndon Johnson, Lyndon Johnson, they all had enemies lists. We'll go get them. We'll go get them. And so if you're in politics and that's your job, you think your, you you got to have an enemies list, you've already set yourself up for that last moment where Dick said, you'll destroy yourself. Yeah. Right? So with Bill Clinton, um, same thing. I mean, you if you think the ultimate be-all, end-all for you, as brilliant or cunning a politician as you are, is that you have power over women to get what you want, you miss the point of your presence. right? You can have it all, right? And not have respect for your daughter and wife because your daughter and wife will be looking at you thinking, you know, if I was a young intern... You'd be doing this to me.
0: Right.
1: And both of them would think that, you know. You'd be manipulating me for your own sexual gain. And, right. you know, that's just a sad thing. And I mean, he's not a, I don't think of him as evil. I think of him as human.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, you see that in Hollywood. That's the constant running theme. I'll get something, right? And uh, there's no angelic resonance in that. That's, if you want to feel anything for them, just feel sorry. Because it's, if you think you've been, you know, and that's, if you look back and think about the irony of King David, hmm. same issue. Yeah. He killed uh, Bathsheba's husband. His husband, yeah. Right? Yeah. To gain dominance over, and you're like going, dude, you had, you know, like seriously, the angels up there going, oh no, don't do this, no, <laughs> no,
0: no, King David, no, don't, not, no. But you got everything. Instead of being brutally punished, he still he he realizes his sins, is heartbroken by it, yes. and, re, and remains king.
1: Well, and because in that heartbreak, you know, is the same heartbreak that uh, if you look at uh, Saint Peter, I mean, the line is God can do amazing, marvelous things with broken-hearted people it's Peter having looked at Jesus Christ uh, if you're just talking about historical Jesus, I'm not talking about religious Jesus. you know Peter's down and he's just told his best friend and God his Messiah that he believes is his Messiah that he doesn't know him thrice and then he gets up and he becomes the rock of the church God does amazing things with broken people I see it in San Quentin. I see it in prisons. If you can redeem a soul who's broken in spirit, but it's you know, like you said, it's the crack in the egg, man. It's the crack in the cosmic light. You can you can shift. I mean, I've seen people, you know, renew themselves and and become something. And I'm not talking born again. I'm talking lit up. You know, spark humanity some of the, the greatest people that we know I mean they come back from the darkest times and they do th- amazing things when, you, when you're when you trying to t- explain to uh, you know one of my kids was looking at me the other day said do you realize that Dr. Martin Luther King lost his life on a weekend he was down trying to stop these young men had lost their lives they were garbage work And the man, the white man, wouldn't let them in the truck to get in out of the rain. And they were cold and they were wet. And they climbed under the claw of the crusher to get in out of the rain. And he turned it on and murdered them both. And that's what Dr. King said was wrong. That they weren't allowed to get in out of the rain. And they were crushed because they're just working class guys. And then that the company did nothing for their family that's the injustice and he knew that truth and love were sisters to justice and he also knew that the best disinfectant is sunshine so that
0: he the went one, down. the best
1: disinfectant this is from justice louis Brandeis. Okay. i mean one of the best supreme court justices the best disinfectant is sunshine he brought sun sunshine to the the darkness that was in memphis
0: and got shot
1: and got murdered yeah because he's you know, darkness can have its day, but then the light becomes the President of the United States later on. Mm. Right?
0: I hope so. Yeah. For you, it's a beautiful world. not me. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful I'm going